I appreciate the time with you. I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and we welcome you to Calvary Church again. And uh, thanks to Ron, the fantastic orchestra and the singers up here. Beautiful job. It sounded really terrific. Thank you. And uh, we're excited. We're going through, as uh, Matt Davis said a little bit ago, in the series in the book of Ephesians. And you have an outline that is available for you at no extra charge in the bulletin, and it'll help you to follow along in all that we are doing and studying the Bible together. The thing that is important to us is to study God's Word, to allow it to teach us. The Bible is not filled with uh, nice, trite, little fluffy uh, sayings that we sort of meditate on and then sort of do our own thing. The Bible is actually literature that requires critical thinking and analytical study, and uh, we love to get into God's Word and allow it to teach us and to flow through it. The book of Ephesians is a letter, is, is intended to be actually read in one sitting as Paul wrote it to the city that is in Ephesus, in the country that we today call Turkey. And uh, we are now in Ephesians chapter 2. Later on in life, they added chapter divisions and and verses in each chapter so we could sort of find where we want to study. Uh, But in the original, it was like reading a letter. So we want to read through it. I want to recapture what we had looked at previously last week. As we get into Ephesians chapter 2, one of the things that we discussed and uh, meditated on and studied together was, and I'm going to wait, and somebody's going to click on the little screen back there, and there we go, is uh, believing and working together. Here is what we looked at last week. We had barriers to overcome. Just a review very, very quickly. When we looked in Ephesians chapter 2, there are three barriers that everybody has to overcome, and some of these barriers sort of carry over into the life when we decide to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And the first barriers are spiritual death, but we can't overcome that. Everybody outside of Christ in God's sight are dead. They're spiritually dead. They may not look dead. Remember the coyote by the side of the road? First day the coyote dies, the coyote looks very much alive, just looks like he's sleeping. But in the course of weeks and months, it becomes a skeleton. We say, oh, that's a dead coyote. And we look around the world and we will see people that look very much alive, like They couldn't possibly be construed as spiritually dead. But there are degrees of death. And some, like Hitler and Stalin, they're dead. We know they're dead. They were spiritually dead way back, as there are many others like that that are obviously dead. So we have to overcome that because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We need to overcome the satanic spiritual power that wants to, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, to blind us so we do not see the light of the gospel of Christ. People outside of Jesus are blinded by Satan so they don't see the light, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can't overcome that, but God can. And then thirdly, we saw the barrier that we need to overcome our former spiritual desires. Where there are those things that uh, I really enjoy doing that we know that God is not pleased with. And before we come to Christ, we're unaware that God has even said anything about that. But once we come to Christ, we still have that. And he says, I don't want you to indulge in those things. And to trigger your memory from last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, I'd like to have a note from your doctor. But if you weren't here and you were here, we talked about indulging in the spiritual desires. Indulging means to spend time with something, as I would spend time over my Sarah Lee cherry pie. Remember that? And so we need to overcome those three things of our deadness, satanic power, 
and those things that are considered to be lustful, sinful practices that we indulge in. But God, it says in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead there, He didn't wait for us to come alive. He went to us when we were dead in our transgressions or sins, and He wants to display within us. He seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, He might show, He might put on a display the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He wants to display that. He wants to take you and me, as bad as we were, dead in our sins, indulging in fleshly desires, under satanic control, and He divinely wakens within us to see Christ, put our faith in Christ, And then he wants to, like a car show, like last week, the Orange County Car Show, he takes that car and you put it on a display so everybody can be just an ooing and aahing. And and he wants to have a display in heaven where you and I stand and we display the surpassing grace of God. That's, That's where we've been. And the reason he wants to do that is he wants to show us how that happens. We need to know what we believe We need to live what we believe. Now, I want to show you just a short little clip that comes from a a teaching series that is going on on the channel called OWN, O-W-N, Oprah Winfrey Network. We all love Oprah Winfrey, right? She's got a new series out right now on what do you believe, and she is in the process of looking at all the major religions so I wanted to show you a little trailer to kind of set up what's something I wanted to talk about. So here's what they're advertising on the network and on TV. We're all in this together. You start questioning things. Why is it like this? Is God the person with the old black beard? I just fell really hard. I don't want to be carrying that anymore. To ask these questions is really the privilege of being human. Hope is the simple belief that things can change. I don't know why, I just know I have to be there. I just have to be there. I believe in the things that I see and touch and hear. I look at it, God brought me into this world for a purpose, the same as God brought every human being into this world for a purpose. Isn't that kind of moving? Like, do you need a tissue? <laughs> the point is that here is Oprah coming from what I consider to be a not necessarily biblical point of view, recognizing that in the world, the seven billion people, that there is this mystery of faith 
that everybody sort of has somewhere and it's being manifested whether Buddhism or Islam or Judaism or Christianity or Hinduism and do you believe? All that matters is do you believe? Well, when the Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians and he invites us to do life together and he invites us into this display of God's grace, it's not so much that you need to have faith as much as it is what does your faith rest in. And in a series like this, not just sort of just take her to task, it compares all the religions, all what she said about Christianity. It was factually pretty close. But it then gets side by side all the other boxes of religion and it becomes one of many to choose from. Well, the Apostle Paul then comes along and he gives to us a passage that, yes, verifies that you and I need to have faith, but he drills down and gives us the very core of what our faith should be looking like. Because we want to display God's grace. And so therefore in this passage, Ephesians 2, 8, and 10, he's going to show how he is going to display that grace. And it's important that what our faith rests in is in the person of Christ. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is probably one of the most familiar passages to those of us who grew up in the church. It's probably one notch just below John three sixteen, But it's right up there. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, this is how the surpassing grace of God is going to be on display through us. He says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of a result of works that no one may boast, for we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And the first thing that he tells us that we need to know what we believe. Now this is going to be very familiar to a lot of us. It's going to be sort of the ABCs, and for others it may be enlightening, and I hope it is, but nevertheless it is good for us to be grounded once again in knowing what you believe, and that is what is salvation. What do we believe about salvation? we got all the religions in the world, there are 7 billion people, and they have to choose one, and they hope that they get the right one. Well, what is salvation? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast." So salvation is something, and it is not something else. Here is what it is. Very basic. First of all, he says, for by grace. It's grace from God. We read about grace in Paul's life. Paul revering his own testimony. This is what Paul says about himself. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was, remember when he says, even though I'm dead in my transgressions, God saves me? Here's Paul. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor, he is in fact a murderer. He stood there and watched Stephen be murdered. That's Paul. Kind of guy comes in our church and says, well, I'm a known murderer. Would we say, oh, good, this is a great opportunity to share the gospel with you? Or we say, hey, There's no room for people like you. How would we respond? That's Paul. He says, I'm a blasphemer, persecutor, and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace, grace of our Lord was more than abundant. As he says in Ephesians 2, it's surpassing. With the faith and the love which are found in Christ Jesus. What God loves are sinners that are really big-time sinners. Because the more the sin, 
the more the grace. The more the grace, the more the glory of God. Here's a little quote. Christians sometimes seem more concerned about one's sins before conversion. But God, He's much more concerned about our sins after conversion. Sometimes as Christians we get this reputation of being sort of judgmental and critical of all those sinners out there. And we have classes of sins now that are politically correct or politically incorrect. And we, we sort of take them on. We're known for judging this group or that group based upon what kind of sin they indulge in. And, and politically we vote about these sins and we, we think this is right and this is wrong. We have campaigns, we have picket, we have signs. And we go out of our way to let everybody know that that behavior is sinful. And it is sinful, probably, if it's in contrary to Scripture. We're not changing that. But you know what? I, gotta, I have to constantly remind myself of this. That Christians, we get all uptight over the fact that sinners sin. And whether it's anywhere from homosexuality to stealing from a bank or murdering their next-door neighbor, sinners sin. And I'm not going to get uptight about sinners who sin. I will get uptight about Christians who sin, who claim to be Christians. That's more problematic. Barna did a study, George Barna, actually at the Barna Group, it's actually run by David Kinnaman right now. But he did a study, and then he found out that Christians don't live that much differently than non-believers. He found out that the Christians tend to look at pornography as much as non-believers. That Christians tend to lie or steal from work as much as non-Christians. He found out that Christians tend to talk back and get even with those who hurt them as much as non-Christians do it. And so we need to be careful that when the grace of God wants to be on display, that we don't want to hold back someone because we think they're just not good enough yet to be a Christian. Here's the thing. We welcome everybody regardless of their category of sin. Because the greater the sin, the greater the grace, the greater the glory of God. And so we need to be very careful. We need to be welcoming and embracing those who come. In our neighborhood, those we work with, those we go to school with, we need to embrace and love and reach out to them because it's the grace of God that saved me. God didn't wait for Dave Mitchell to get it right and then he saved me. God came to Dave Mitchell in my sin because I was in my sin. Therefore, God says, you need my grace. We need to go out to people no matter what their sin and how bad their sin may seem to be to us and let the grace of God do for them what we can't do for ourselves. So it's grace-based that God gives to us this. And so Paul continues. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. That's who needs the grace of God. We don't expect sinners to get their lives cleaned up so they can come to church and receive Jesus. We expect sinners to sin so they can have the grace of God so God can be glorified. God says Paul was the foremost of all sinners. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me is foremost. Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience. We are a demonstration of God's patience, a demonstration of God's grace, a demonstration of God's mercy for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. 
Don't ever turn anybody away because they look or act in a way that is sinful. Because the greater the sin, the greater the grace, the more glory to God. Let's let God be glorified by welcoming all, no matter who they are. So salvation is based on grace. Giving me something I don't deserve. And everybody who's saved in this world has been given that same grace. And it doesn't matter if you were just a sinner who occasionally got jealous or you're a sinner who murdered and mass murdered a whole bunch of people. That was the same grace. Jesus had to die just as long on the cross. Jesus didn't have to die longer for the homosexuals as opposed to the jealousy people. Jesus' death on the cross was just as long for every sin to cover every sin equally. The full amount of grace that's given to them. We need to remember that and live as if that is true. Salvation is faith in Christ. Not just faith, but what's the object of our faith? Here is the only verse in the Bible that describes what our faith needs to rest in. In 1 Corinthians 15, I make known to you the gospel. It's the gospel that saves people. Let me go on to the next verse. For I deliver to you as of first importance, this is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised in the third day. What do people need to put their faith in? I need to put my faith in the fact that Jesus died for me because of my sins, that He was buried, so He literally died, and that He was raised or resurrected from the dead on the third day. That's what I need to believe about my faith. My faith must rest in something. Everybody has faith. Every time you get in your car, you have faith that things are going to start up. Every time you turn on the faucet, you have faith that the water is going to be flowing. And you have faith that somebody somewhere is actually cleaning up that water so you can drink it. We all have faith. The faith that we encourage people to have is in the person of Christ. And remember, it's not just some oblivious faith, but it's faith in Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. Very basic. I know. Very basic for many of us. But we need to review that so we we encourage people who sin terribly, who need grace wonderfully, that they can have a faith that is in something that's actually going to save them. And then salvation is a gift. It's something that comes freely to us. 2 Timothy 1.8 describes it this way, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was granted or given. The word to be given a gift is didomai, and didomai is the same word basically that the word gift is and given. It merges together. They're related to each other. So it is a gift to us in Christ Jesus from all of eternity and now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality through the gospel. It is what it is a gift. It is free of charge. There are people that I hear occasionally who say, I can't go to church because I've been so bad. I can't receive salvation. I can't believe it's free to me. And they resist it. I put in my email this last week an amazing little quote that Tim Keller, pastor of a, a pretty significant church back in New York City, he had an encounter with this woman. And this woman said, I believe that I need to work to gain favor with God to be saved. She said, if it's purely a gift, something He freely gives to me, 
then it's going to put me in a position where I'm going to have to have full allegiance to Him. So I'd rather salvation be a negotiation with God, where God, I'll bring you three of the Ten Commandments and keep them faithfully. That's not literally what she said, but this is the essence of it. I'll do these things for you. I'll go to church. I'll get baptized. I'll take communion. I'll do these things because I don't want to be 100% obligated to you because you've done it all for me. And there are a lot of people that do not believe that salvation is a gift. It's free. They want to have to do something so that God can't do everything for them and then cause them to feel fully surrendered. We don't want to surrender to God. We want to keep a little bit back for ourselves. Our own little God in our own little ways. So God says it's a gift. You need to surrender fully. You need to give it all up. Rich man didn't get into heaven. Why? Because he's still trusting in his wealth. Good people don't get into heaven because they do good work. Why? Because they're still doing good works and not letting God give them a free gift of God's grace and his salvation. So if salvation is grace, faith, and a gift from God, salvation is not of ourselves, something we do, something we conjure up in our soul. That's why he says in Ephesians 1, we go back to some weeks ago, blessed, you logos, remember that? You logos. It is eulogy. Say good things about God. Why should I say think good things about God? The God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us. He charted out our like an architect. Remember, architect drawing out the plans of a home. He did that for us spiritually, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Paul says it's not of ourselves. Why? My point of this passage, because God does it. He is the initiator. He chooses us. He predestines us. He adopts us. He saves us. It's all God. And that's hard for people to, I just, you know, if I'm going to go meditate and do my yoga and I'm going to somehow simmer up within my heart some faith of religious or spiritual experience. Guys, no, it's not from within you. It's something that comes from within God. And it comes to me. Salvation is not of our works. We know that. I can't ever be good enough to be saved. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing, the regeneration, and renewing by the Holy Spirit, not by my works. And then finally, it's no reason to boast. Those of us who have received the grace of God and put our faith in Christ and been given the gift of salvation, we are not necessarily any better than anybody else out there that we have bragging rights. Don't boast of how good we are like all those, compared to all those sinners out there. Jeremiah 9 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. And those of us who are smarter than others, those of us who are stronger than others, and those of us who are richer than others, that doesn't make us any closer to God. Those are unequal standards that we all will never come to equality in. And I don't care who's president of the United States, you're never going to make everybody equally wealthy, equally strong, and equally as smart or wise. Those are all different for everybody. 
Those are things we can manipulate and those are things we can sometimes control. But what God says, don't boast in that, but this, that you boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteous on earth, for I delight in these things. All of us can equally be in the loving kindness of God. That is where my faith rests. That, if I'm going to boast of anything, that I know God, that I live that life, but not based upon what I do with strength, wisdom, and wealth, but who I know the loving kindness, justice, and righteousness of God. Now, here's a test. I know I've been rattling along here, and you've been faithfully, hopefully staying awake. But I've got two questions that I want to ask you. Question number one, it's on the outline. Question number one, if you were to die today, do you know that you would go to heaven? What's the wrong answer to that question? Anybody want to throw out an answer? What? I don't know. That would be a wrong answer. You're to, you hope so? Boy, that's a, that's a big one. Anybody else want to throw out an answer? I've done a lot of good things. Yeah. Thank you. Th- those are all good, bad answers. So, <laughs> if I were to die today, if you were to die today, do you know that you would go to heaven? That's a great question to ask someone to find out where they stand with Almighty God in the truth of the salvation. And so we have a lot of bad answers. I hope so. I'm not sure. No one can really know if they're going to heaven. And with all due respect to the Roman Catholicism, there are many in the Roman Catholic faith who take umbrage, umbrage, right? Umbrage over the fact that anybody can declare that I know that I'm going to heaven because they work and live in a faith-based religion that is dependent upon doing something. And I mean that with all respect to them. Some of you come out of that tradition. Some of you still indulge in practice. That's fine. I don't have any problem with that. All I want to make sure is that we're not, <laughs> we're not having a false faith in something we do, but that we can know that we would go to heaven is a good thing, not something to fear. These things I have written, John says in 1 John 5, these things I have written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. So if you ask someone, if you were to die today, do you know that you would go to heaven? And they say, any of these answers right here, they need Jesus Christ. You need to presume that they are not saved. And then you go to the second answer, second question. Oh, here's, here's the right answer. I know that I'm going to heaven the instant I die. So this is an open book test. You can write that down if you like. The second question is this. If you were to stand before God in heaven and He should ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? What are some of the wrong answers that people might say? And we heard some of them. Do good works. Go to church. Yeah, let's, I go to church, and so therefore I must be better than the next guy. The slob doesn't go. What? Baptize is a big one. Baptize whether as an infant or as an adult. So it got me in a tithing. I'm a good person. Read the Bible. Th- these are all wonderfully bad answers again. So I'm very, very proud that many of you have a lot of bad answers. Here are, here are some other bad answers that tie in. I've tried to be good most of my life. I was baptized in the church. I've helped the poor. I'm a Baptist Presbyterian. And I put etc. there because I'm not just picking on the Baptists and the Presbyterians. Could have been any denomination. 
And I kept most of the things. These are all really wonderfully bad answers again. If you ask someone, if you were to die today and you stand before God in heaven, he should ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? And they offer any of these answers. They need Jesus. They need God's grace, faith in Jesus, and receive the gift of God's salvation. Because they're trying to do it of themselves. They're trying to work their way into heaven. And they're trying to brag that they know that they've done right things. And maybe they're trying to leverage like the guy with Tim, the woman with Tim Keller. I'm trying to leverage myself. I've kept most of the Ten Commandments. So therefore, God, I have a certain thing that I need to hold back. I'm going to live by my rights and not totally surrender to you and all you ask of me. So we need to remember these things. These are wrong answers. Here's the correct answer. I have put my faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. That's what we need to hear. And I'm telling you, if you're here today and you resonated with a lot of the wrong answers, with all due respect, you need to come to faith in Christ today. Because if you don't know that you're going to die, well, you don't know that you're going to die today, probably. I hope you don't know that. But if you don't know that when you die, you go to heaven instantly, then we need to do business. And secondly, if you stand before God in heaven and you should offer some of the wrong answers, we need to do business because you have not reached a point of true conversion. Because you can't put your faith in wrong things and accept to be saved. It's got to be in the right thing. That is the person of Jesus Christ who is the only way. Now, we sometimes have a hard time communicating these things. Um, I, uh, I'm going to go back in history. Here's a little retro for you guys. And as I look around the room, some of you are going to say, that's not so that long ago. And others are going to say, who's that? Well, I, I watched uh, many years ago when I was a much younger lad and I had hair that was brown. I was watching Johnny Carson one night. Remember Johnny Carson? Yeah, and he had Billy Graham on. So I found the cl- that clip. And there's also another clip that I found with Billy Graham with Woody Allen. Remember Woody Allen? Not exactly probably in our church today. But Woody Allen interviews Billy Graham, and then Johnny Carson interviews Billy Graham. And here's what I want you, this is why I want you to listen to this. Number one, it just kind of helps you to wake you up again. But number two, listen how winsome Billy Graham is. As he doesn't back down from what we're talking about here. About the problem of sin and morality and righteousness. And how he just freely shares it. But he does it in a way that even makes the sinners laugh. I love this. So take a look at Woody Allen first and then Johnny Carson. The Bible teaches that premarital sex relations are wrong. Yeah, that's funny. To me, that would be like, uh, you know, like driving a car, you know, getting a driver's license without a learner's permit first. Well, well let, let's, uh, let's just, uh, let's just uh, see. Now, you know, we have to have rules to live by. And uh, what we're saying is we're going to play a baseball game without any rules. We're going to play a football game without any rules. We're going to live a life without any moral rules. Well, God has laid down certain rules and said, if you want the best of life and you want complete happiness and fulfillment, live by these rules. And one of those rules is that thou shalt not commit immorality. Ah, but wait a minute. But if you're, say you're dating a girl, right? Well, I, uh, I don't intend to date anyone. No, but I mean... <laughs> All the way God was teaching Israel all through the Old Testament, that there was one God, only one, that we're to serve and we're to worship. Right, and that doesn't seem to you as, say, an egomaniacal position. On God's part? On God's part. Oh, no, God is perfect. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny, when I look in the mirror in the morning, it's hard for me to believe that. (laughs) 
you know, in God's sight, you are beautiful. And, in, and everyone... <laughs> Because, uh, because God loves all of us, and he has the hairs of our head numbered. He sees the sparrow fall. He's interested in every detail of your life. He made you like you are. He made you Woody Allen, and he expects you to live up uh, to a standard that he has made. And if you don't live up to it, then the Bible says you're falling short, and that's where you need God's help for redemption. You think everybody... Everybody has broken every commandment. Yes, sir. The Bible says if we break in one point, we're guilty of all. Oh, and then when Jesus came after Moses, he explained that the, that the Ten Commandments can be broken in your heart by thought and intent. So in that sense, we're all guilty. And that's the reason the Bible says that everybody's a sinner. Even Ed is a sinner. <laughs> well, that, that is, uh, comes as quite a surprise. They, they, they... <laughs> Isn't that nice? It's so relaxed. He's sharing about what he believes and the standards that God has. And, and just, you just draw people into that. We want to draw people into that. But not everybody wants to be drawn into that. So I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to turn to your neighbors, get up and go to somebody who's close by, maybe somebody you don't know, somebody you just are going to meet for the first time, and ask and answer this question. Why do some people resist the grace of God, of the free gift of salvation? Why do you think people resist that? What holds them back? Just about three minutes. Just talk about it. Why do people resist the free gift of God's gift of salvation? about 20 seconds. 10 seconds. All right, let's wrap. Let's refocus up here for just a second. We're going to do something interesting. Thank you for your input, feedback, discussion, questions. This is the mystery of my life as well. I can see biblically some people are blinded, so they resist. Some people are stubborn, hard-hearted, so they resist. But why so many, when it's such a free gift, why won't they receive that gift? It's so challenging. One of the ways we help people overcome that is what Paul says then next in Ephesians 2.10. Salvation produces in us something. It is a workmanship, for we are... His workmanship, that will help draw people in when they see the work that God does in our lives. We need to put on display that grace, display the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. As He prepared for us to do good works, as we walk in them, we display God's workmanship. I love this word for workmanship. The word workmanship in the Greek is poema. We get the English word poem from it, which, I don't know, maybe it was more interesting to me than you. But I love that, that we are a poem, we are poetry, we are a display of God's craftsmanship. No matter where we came from, like Paul, a blasphemer, a persecutor, a murderer, he became a workmanship of God. 
The past is done away. We are a new creation in God. There's a good example of that. You know, if you want to go and see great workmanship in artistry, you go and you look at a person like Rembrandt. And here is one of his paintings called The Storm and the Sea of Galilee. And it may not show up so well here, but it's a beautiful masterpiece. In fact, it's so great that thieves broke in and stole this on March the 18th in 1990, and they still don't know where this particular piece of artwork is. And so it was stolen, but it was done by a master. So I went out of my way, and I felt badly for that museum that lost that piece of art. So I drew one of my own. <laughs> and so here is mine. Dave, the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and I have it right here. I worked really hard on this, and I'm willing to auction this off for a price. I'll sign it. It's one of a kind. It's an original, suitable for framing in your living room. Well, obviously, you know it's a joke. Sort of. I don't know. It's not bad. If you could only see the, the scary looks on their faces, you would say, wow, good insight, Dave, good insight. And so why do I do that? Because there's a lot of people whose workmanship is sort of like my artwork. We're sort of just doing it on our own. We're sort of winging it. Like it took me like five minutes to do that. And you're probably thinking, five minutes, really? Looks like one minute. And so we try to do these things on our own, and we come up with something like this that it falls very short of God's workmanship because it's in my strength, my ability. And God says, I want it to be my workmanship. God says, not your workmanship. He says, I want you to be like Rembrandt because God says, I'm the Rembrandt of the heavenly creations. And what I do is great workmanship. And so we relinquish our rights and we go to God and we are created for these good works. What good works are you experiencing? He has prepared them beforehand. And one of the things that I, there's two things I want us to do at this point. Number one, on the back side of the outline, what I call the digging deeper, I give you examples of the workmanship that God wants to be perfecting in our lives. I encourage you to read over that, whether today or this coming week, or take one a day and say, God, where is that workmanship in my life? For example, the hope of a completed salvation, body, soul, and mind, that this is the workmanship that God wants to complete that salvation. I live with a hopefulness every day. My prayer life is vital and real because the Holy Spirit is in me. He is perfecting in me the prayer life. He's actually giving me words into heaven that I may not be saying correctly. It's a beautiful thing to pray to God and say, God, I don't know how to pray this. Holy Spirit, take over for me. You know my heart. You know my desire. It is the workmanship of perfected prayer that the Spirit of God does, not what I do, not, not my little crayons on a whiteboard, but God's masterpiece of work. The Bible comes alive because God is working in me. You can read how when I'm in the Spirit of God, the Scriptures are so much more alive than if I'm just reading it humanly that looks like crayons on a whiteboard. And I just want to drop down to the very the bottom three. My generosity is increasing in support for God's work. God is able to make all grace abound to you that always have sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. When the Spirit of God is working through me, 
I have a more generous spirit that I love to support what God is doing. Now, candidly, we're all behind, and this is going to sound like a crass ad, but we're behind financially at this early part of our fiscal year. So I'm asking God to speak to each of us that we would be a workmanship of generosity, that God would work through each of us so we're on display. Not my efforts of guilt-giving, but God's workmanship through the Spirit of God to complete what He's begun in my life. Financially, generosity, physically, emotionally, spiritually, every realm of that. I encourage you to read through that. And as you read through that also, I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. We're going to spend a few moments in worship together. And there are tables. There's a table there. There's a table in the back there, over there, table over here. And I'm going to invite you to go. There's a board on each of those tables. There's a black portion of it. And then there's a big white portion that sort of looks like an L shaped. On each table are these little pads. You know how when they take you into the police station and you're going to be arraigned for... Remember? No, I'm kidding. There's these little pads where you put your thumb on it and you get some ink on that thumb. Press press hard. I, I tried it. Press hard. And then go to the white portion and push hard on the white portion. I just tried that, so I'm just telling you. Based on my experience, push hard. So pad to the white part, not the black part. We won't see it. On the white part, we're going to worship together, and God's going to do something. So as we worship, each of you go to the table, try not to stand in line, kind of crowd around, be polite, be loving, be gracious, but put on the white part, okay? We good? Let me pray. I'm going to come and worship together. Father God, we thank you for your loving kindness to us. Thank you for the grace that saves us, the faith in Christ that saves us, the gift of God that saves us. Not of ourselves, not of works, nothing to boast about there, because God, you've done it all. Now help us to be the workmanship, displaying the work that you have done in our lives as each of us have a fingerprint that is unique, you have uniquely worked in each of our lives. May we now, in this gift, display that work. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So come on up as the worship goes on. You each came up with your fingerprints, your thumbprint. There's no other thumbprint like your thumbprint in this room. And when we gather together, When we put ourselves together, we are better because each of us uniquely have left an imprint. But the beauty of what God does is that He takes each of our lives and as we come together, the body of Christ, we project the image of Christ. As the cross is that wonderful timeless symbol of Jesus' death, burial, and it's empty, His resurrection. And so remember that each of us are a workmanship of God. You don't want my little crayon drawing to be an image of God. You want God's work in your life. Be that poem. Be that work that displays His grace. And the worse we were in the past, the more grace there is for us now. Not that you sin, the grace would abound, but never turn anyone away and don't you ever feel shame over your past. 
because it's an opportunity for God to display the surpassing grace of Jesus Christ. And if you, on those questions, if you were to die right today, do you know that you would go to heaven? And if you don't know that, God wants you to know that so that you can answer the second question. If you were to stand before Almighty God in heaven, He should say, why should I let you in to my kingdom of heaven? So that you can give to Him the answer that's true, biblical, based upon Jesus, His death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins. My faith rests in Him alone. Not any works of mine, not of myself that I would boast, but the grace of God. He wants you to have that answer not just as an intellectual truth, but as an embracing of your heart in the person of Christ. We'll be up here in the front. Well, friends up here, love to pray with you. If you would like to know more information to, to discuss that further or perhaps to make a decision to believe in Jesus. And then as we go out, let us continue to display the workmanship of God, His surpassing grace to those in our neighborhood, those we work with, those at 24-Hour Fitness, Gold's Gym, CrossFit, wherever you go, wherever you hang out, let's us be the display of God's workmanship on the cross. So I invite you to be part of that. As you leave, remember, we have an opportunity to tour the Generation Project, the Student Underground. You go out through the patio and you go right, and then you go down. And it's a beautiful display of your generosity that allows us to have that room and Lord willing, be completed by December, and we'll have students in there worshiping the Lord, engaging together, better together to do the work, so the generations to come will be part of what God is doing in this community. So I encourage you to be part of that. I'll be out in the lobby. I'd love to meet you there as well, and that God would bless our time together as we continue to serve Him. Let me pray for us. Father, help us that we would live out the life that you've called us to live out, not in our own strength where we sort of muster it up because, God, I don't have enough ability to do it on my own. But, Father, that we would be, as Paul says, the workmanship of yours, your life, your grace, so that we can live out and walk it day by day to carry out what you created within us to do. You prepared it beforehand, and now we're going to display it each day for your sake. In love and grace, may we live out the work that you've called us to do. And we pray this now in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.